Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Uh, Hey, today I am excited. I get to introduce one of my good friends, a mentor that has had a profound impact on me and on this church, Pastor Lee Stevenson. He'll be coming up in just for a moment. Okay, so when he comes up, I need you to like give him a really awesome, warm city lift welcome. Let him know that we turn up a little bit here in South Florida, okay? But Lee has made a profound impact on my life and on our church. He was over all of church planning when I stepped into the journey of planning. In fact, he and I planted a church at the same time. I think of the same weekend, wasn't it? Same day. And so, but Lee has planted several churches in his lifetime and, uh, and so just knows a lot about church planning and just the whole process. And so it helped me a lot. I was a part of his cohort of pastors several years ago. We were all trying to get through COVID, and, and so he's made a profound impact on my life, a profound impact on this church. In fact, he allowed us to go a little further, a little faster. And so Lee, I've invited him today. He, he doesn't have too many Sundays open, but he had a few, and so I said, man, I would be honored to have you come in Porter House. And I, I wanted to give him that position. I want to tell that to you guys because he's really got this position of authority to talk into our house because he helped us get to where we're at today. That's what I want you to know. He really helped us get to where we're at today. And so would you do me a favor and open your ears and open your heart to receive this teaching? And uh, I think God wants to say something to us this morning. Amen. So would you put your hands together and welcome my good friend, Pastor Lee Stevenson. Amen. Well, City Lift, it is so good to be with you. As Matt said, I've known you before you were born, you know, as, as a church. And we've had the opportunity. I, I, I love your pastor to get to know each other and walk with each other over the years. Um, been down here driving the city as we talked and we prayed and we planned for what would become this. And so it's exciting for me to be here firsthand and, and to see you face-to-face and see what God has been doing over the years. Um, I can tell you this, as, as I've walked with Matt, we've cried together, uh, we've laughed together, we've talked to each other off the cliff from time to time, but I can tell you this, he's seeking out the heart of God. Um, He desires to be the man that God wants him to be. He is a a person that cherishes his family and his marriage, and he deeply loves you. And it really is a a privilege of mine to be able to call you a friend. And uh, and so thank you for the opportunity to to be here today. I want to take a moment and introduce the people as well that are very important to me. They were here at the first service. They're walking around looking for coffee or doing something right now. They've heard me preach enough, and they're like, I'm, I'm out. But this is, this is my family. We live in Orlando. So I've got three kids. So Aaron, my oldest, he's 16. He's a sophomore in high school. He's a swimmer. And, uh, and so our entire life is literally following him to pools in the morning, in the afternoon, on the weekends. Um, if you're a swim family or grew up swimming, you know exactly what that requires of us. Uh, my daughter there, Noelle. She's 13. Uh, she's a seventh grader. She's a softball player, and uh, her entire life kind of revolves around that. Now, I'm a swim coach as well, so I require all three kids have to swim. Um, she does that as supplemental um, to her softball. And then Joshua down there, he's eight. He's a second grader. He has no hand-eye coordination, so he has to swim. Um, he, he can't do ball or anything like, like that. You may notice he looks a little different than the rest of us. I just like to tell people that's the difference of being made in China versus being made in America. Um, and uh, Joshua has a very unique story. He's completely into Legos. Like, that's his, his favorite pastime. 
Um, and then my wife there, uh, we've been, Melissa is her name. We've been married just a little over 20 years. You may go, what is she into? Me. So she, that's, I can say that she's not here. But uh, I, I want to say real quick about Joshua's story. He has a very unique story. When I have the opportunity to travel and go to churches and meet with people, I just ask people to pray for him if you think of him. Um, Joshua was born in China. Um, he was abandoned at a fire station as an infant. Um, he was then placed into a group home, lived in that group home for 20 months of his life. At 20 months, he was actually adopted by a family in the United States, came here, and they had him for 20 months, and then they decided we don't want him anymore. And uh, that's when we actually got a call about four and a half years ago asking us if we would want Joshua to join our family. And so we brought him in. We, we just looked at each other and said, how do you say no? And uh, the, the kid has gone through enormous amount of trauma, enormous amount of challenge. And yet, if you met him this morning, he walks in and lights the room up. And my prayer over him every night, and I ask people to join us in that, is just pray that God would redeem his story, that he would make his story new, that he wouldn't be defined by his history in his first four years. And I'm, I'm excited because I truly believe God is going to do a miracle in that little boy's life. Um, and so I, I, I thank you for being that for us as, as well. I want to take a moment. Let me just pray for us, and we're going to dive in today. Lord, we seek your heart today. It is so good to be here. It's so good to be together that we can corporately come and worship through music, worship through opening up the Bible. I, I pray that you would help us see ourselves in this story. Help us to see who you are as we open it up. And Lord, I pray you change us. Draw us to be the men, the women that you've called and wired us truly to be. I pray in your name. Amen. Now, if you got your digital device, your Bible with you, I want to have you open up to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. If you're familiar with it, we're going to be taking a look at a story. It's called the Tower of Babel and the building of this enormous building that took place. Now, the really interesting thing about chapter 11 in Genesis is this is a transitional chapter in Genesis. The first 10 chapters of Genesis are all about God's creation. It's about that God created the world. He created humanity. He gave purpose. We messed it up. Adam and Eve decided at some point in that process, you know what, God, I think you're kind of holding out on me. I don't know what really is going to happen. I think we'll become a little bit more like you. Eve was deceived. Adam made a choice, and they sinned against God. They ate from the forbidden tree. They ate the forbidden fruit, and everything else has been a mess ever since. God then puts into place kind of his redemptive plan. We see that all the way back into Genesis chapter 3, very early into the establishment of humanity. You get to chapters 9 and 10, we get to the point of what we call as Noah's Ark. You hear of this guy, he builds his big boat, God floods the world, they survive because they were obedient to God. It teaches us a couple things. Number one, God takes sin very seriously. When we rebel, when we want to do life our way, he takes it seriously. But the good news is God is also a God that is gracious and he's redemptive and he's constantly working to bring us back into a right relationship with him. You go to chapter 12 and you get to this moment where God is establishing his own people. He raises up this man named Abraham. He says, out of Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do a unique thing. I'm going to create a people out of you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. In other words, he's going to go, and I'm going to demonstrate to all of humanity who I really am. I'm going to demonstrate my love, my capacity, my grace, 
my redemptive story, and I'm going to do it through these people. It will eventually, it'll be the type of thing that can go out to the whole world, but this will begin that story and that process. Chapter 11 is this moment where Noah's descendants have stepped out of the ark. They're beginning to multiply, and they have this decision moment, and they decide, let's build a society unto us. We're going to do life our way. We want to, again, define. They fall back into trap, the same thing that entrapped Adam and Eve. We want to do what we want to do. We want to define what is good, what is right, and we're going to live life our way. And so it's this transitional moment between creation, humanity, Noah, and then all of a sudden you have God raising up these people, the, the, the Israelites, what becomes known as kind of the Jewish nation today. So let's go and begin. We're going to pause here and there as we kind of begin to make our way through chapter 11 this morning. So let's begin. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Let me pause there. These are the descendants of Noah and his family. The ark has crashed. They're now moving, and they find this area in Shinar, which is honestly, it became known as Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. They said, this seems to be a pleasant place. Let's make this home. And that's what they chose to do. Now, the interesting thing is the author here makes a couple of interesting remarks. He talks about that the people group, they had one language. They, they used the same words. They had the same customs. All that were the same at this point, which represents to us, it's helpful to understand as we begin to make our way through the story, it represents one world, one leader, one government, one religion. Okay, so they, they were building the society. They were building a civilization centered around being one world, one people group, one government, one religion, one leader. Let's go ahead and continue in the story here. Verse 3. It says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had a brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So what are, they, what are we going to do about it? Verse 7, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the, all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Let me stop there. You kind of get the setting here. The people find this nice area. They say, hey, this would be a great place for us to camp, for us to build our civilization, for us to do life together. And in the dream of this was, hey, let's build a tower. And we're going to build a tower. It's going to stand out. Everybody's going to know who we are. Everybody's going to know where we are at. And it'll be kind of the center place of our civilization. Now, the way that you may think about this is this is described. We're going to build a tower into the heavens. I heard it when I grew up in church, even as a little kid, and the Sunday school teacher would talk about it. They thought they could get themselves to heaven. Not necessarily true. 
The idea was we're just going to build a very one. We want to build as high as we possibly can. Let's see if we can get to the clouds or not. It wasn't the idea we're going to get into heaven. But the idea was what could we potentially build out of personal ambition, out of our pride? What can we inspire one another to actually do? Which is a great thing for us to then ask ourselves. What are you building towards? We're all building something. We're building our lives. What are you aspiring to build? What are you personally inspired to do? Now, here's the deeper thought of this. Is it more me-centric or God-centric? What are you actually building? Is it all about me, what I can do, what I can aspire, how hard I can work? Is it all about that or is it more about what God wants you to become and do? It's a wrestle that we always wrestle. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 11. That's the wrestle. Which brings me to the the big idea that I want us to kind of process today. The big idea is simply this. Pride builds towers while humility carries crosses. Pride builds towers while humility carries crosses. And we'll begin to expand a little bit more about that. But the idea of this tower that they're building is what we know today. You can go even today and find remnants of these are what are called ziggurats. This is what a ziggurat looks like. You might go, oh, yeah, okay, I've I've seen that. We've seen different elements or different styles of this built out through all society. We see the Incas, the Mayans. We have the Egyptians with their pyramids. And these represented kind of the central location of society. This is the central point of civilization. This was the place that everybody would come to in order to trade, to engage one another, to do life for entertainment and religion. This was the place, hey, this is the place we all can be one. We'll worship together, the gods, and we'll be, we'll be something. And this will be a proclamation of who we are and what we can become. Now, the fascinating thing is, when you go all the way back to verse 5, the author writes this, and I want you to understand, the author Moses, when he writes the book of Genesis, in verse 5 here, he writes it with almost a sarcastic tone. Verse 5, he says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. So this whole idea is like, these people are so proud of what they were able to accomplish. We're going to build this tower, like, it's going to go all the way to heavens. I mean, you're going to see it from miles away. And it's like, the way the author captures this, God's like, I don't see it. Like, did you guys build something? Like, you know, you, you kind of catch the tone here. He's going, okay, you guys are proud of this, but obviously I can't see it. I need to come down so I can actually see and witness what you guys have built. There's this sarcastic undertone that is captured here in this, this moment. And then he talks about this whole idea here. He says, come let us come down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. This is a Trinitarian statement. In other words, he's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's one of the first times we see in all of Scripture of this Trinitarian existence of God, three in one. How does that work mathematically? I don't know. I just know that's what the Scripture teaches. And I'm okay with that because if I could truly comprehend God, then I have to question whether or not he was really God, Right? He's just bigger than our ways. He's, he's beyond our thoughts. So they create this idea, and, and there's several things that kind of the people group, when they build the ziggurat, that they're kind of declaring to themselves. 
they're working to build for themselves a name. They're working to build for themselves a lifestyle that in all reality, it didn't include God. They were making a statement. We can do this on our own. We can build out society. We can build out our religion. We can build out our entertainment. We can build a life for ourselves and for our families where we're not dependent on God's existence. How many times do we do that still today? I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, we work so hard to show how cool we are, how hard we work, how tough I am, how smart we are. We want to demonstrate to the world that, you know what, I have no needs. I'm a self-made person. I got this, and I'm going to make something out of myself. I mean, this is our society. This is how so many of us have been brought up to live, and this is so many of us have embraced to live, where we work so hard, and we, if we're honest with ourselves, so many of us in our society, we have no conscience of God or of his existence, or do we even care that he is there? The human condition, what we see in Genesis 11, is still the same of what entrapped Adam and Eve at the very beginning. This idea, I'm good, I can figure this out, God must be holding out on me, I want to do life my way. I want to define what is good, I want to define what is right. I want to be the one that ultimately is in charge because I think I know what is best for me. This idea, yes, we can work for personal honor. We can work to get one more rung up on the ladder. We can rally people around our ambitions. We can inspire people to do incredible things. And we have this desire to build these monuments unto ourselves, whether or not it's through our social media platform, whether it is through the house that we own, the cars that we drive, the clothes that we wear, where our kids go to school. I mean, the list goes on and on and all, all driven from personal ambition. So that's why I began the story a little bit is, what are you building your life towards? Because what we can easily skip by when we get to chapter 11, we skip by the reality of what God actually was calling the people to do in chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 1 in Genesis, Noah and his ancestors, his family have walked out of the ark. God gives them this command in verse 1. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, And he said to them, get this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So by the time you get to chapter 11, you're only maybe a few generations removed from when God actually ordained this commandment. The people are directly disobeying the very words of God, where he commanded them to scatter, to go, and to replenish the earth. Why would they do that? I think one of the driving motivators, safety. Safety. It was safer for them economically, for instance. It's better for us if we just, if we stay together, we can build out this government, we can build out a lifestyle, we can build all this so it works for every single one of us. We can share life, it'll be fun, it'll be safer for us from an economical standpoint. 
It was safer for them, even physically. I mean, there's a little scary sitting there going, I got to be a pioneer. They may be going, God, I'm not really a pioneer type. You know, I, I, the idea of going out there, there's animals. I don't like camping. I don't know what's going to be out there. I got to figure out and forage for my own food. You know, like, I don't know about this. So there's a practical element from a safety standpoint. I think, too, there's a fear of the future. You know what? What if that people group grows faster than my people group, and they decide they like what we have, and they come over and take it? And now all of a sudden, our customs, our language, or whatever, the way we want to do life, now has to be adjusted and adopted to that lifestyle. So there's a practical fear as, as well. So I think safety is a major factor as to why they kind of made this decision. We're going to do it our way, God. I don't know if you really know what's best for us. We're, we're going to try it this way. A couple other observations that I think are important to, to understand here as we kind of make our way through this, this passage. God was just. So when we get to verse 7, and this whole idea, he comes down, he's going to confuse their language, and in doing so, it forces them to, to disperse. God's just. He's fair. He had already commanded them in chapter 9, verse 1, this is what I want you to do. They said no. So God shows up, and he says, okay, you think you know better? I'm going to, I'm going to prove you wrong. We're going to do it my way. And he handles those that directly disobeyed him. If they continued in their disobedience, imagine what would have happened to the earth. There have been places all over the world that, you know, being inhabited. The earth would remain that way. It could have led to profane leadership, a profane king stepping in and being in charge. We see it play out all over history where somebody builds up a platform, people begin to trust him, and they take the opportunity to empower themselves and they don't let go of any of that power. So it could have easily become really, really bad for them where they now have an abusive king or abusive, tyrannical leader that is now in charge of society. And the reality is, left to their own, we see people can't lead themselves. Left to their own, they were leading themselves to a place where God's involvement was not welcome in their life, which is never a good thing for any of us. God knows better. God sees things that you and I don't see. And so he steps in and he deals with it, which is, brings me to observation number three. How did God deal with it? He brought confusion. He brought confusion. He confused language. We're still dealing with that today. If you travel anywhere around the world, you step into a country where you don't know the language, it gets a little daunting very quickly. And sometimes I, I, I've had the opportunity, I've traveled all over the world, and I go into these countries and I go, I just want a cup of coffee. I need to find somebody who can speak English just so I can get a cup of coffee, or at least Spanish. I can order coffee in Spanish. But in other languages, I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to do that, right? We're still dealing with the remnants of those decisions today. But he brings confusion, which hear, hear, hear me out here. We assume moments in our life of confusion are a negative thing. Confusion may actually be the thing that God is bringing and allowing in your life so that you actually become the person that he wants you to become. The challenge is, are you willing to embrace it? I promise you, there are moments all throughout my life where I sit down and I even cry out, God, I don't get this. This is not the way I would have written the story. 
right? Why this? Why now? Come on, there's got to be a different way to do this. One of those things was when I was 32 years old. I was a professional mountain biker. My family, we lived in Arizona. I just started a church as well. But my pastime, like, I, I was riding all over the place. I loved mountain biking. I wish I had a better story, but I took my staff bowling and I collapsed on the bowling alley. Nothing more sexier than collapsing on a bowling alley, all right? So I collapsed on the bowling alley. My left leg exploded. I went to the doctor. The doctor said, hey, you need to do what we call microfracture surgery. You'll be quick in and out. Six weeks, you'll be back good, new. Within six months, you'll be riding back at the same level. Great, let's do it. I go in for surgery. Doctor walks out of the OR. His eyes are this big. He looks at my wife and goes, I have no idea what you've done, what your husband has done to his life. I can't do anything. You need to come back in a week. We're going to figure out what we're going to do. I became a national case study because they were like, oh, we don't know what to do with this guy. I had two leading doctors in the world in Boston. My doctor flew out, met with. They picked 10 cases. Mine was one of those that was chosen. They decided to do this cutting-edge surgery. I was, went to the leading expert in the southwest part of the country. I was his 20th case and the worst one he had ever seen. They did this crazy surgery. I was three days hospitalized, but get this, I was 12 weeks bedridden. 12 weeks bedridden, I had a three-month-old and a four-year-old. And to this day, my kids, I was a collegiate athlete, a professional athlete. My kids have never seen me run or jump. I had this vision of what I thought fatherhood would look like. I had this vision that I'd be out running, playing with the kids, on the field, doing all those things. And God removed that. I promise you, there have been a lot of times in my life where I've questioned, God, I don't get this. This is not what I want. This is not what I signed up for. But God has taught me some incredible things through that season. One of them in particular is pain's not necessarily a bad thing. I've lived with chronic pain for 12 plus years. And, and again, a lot of times, a lot of questions. I've had four more surgeries since that one. I was the youngest total knee replacement in Orlando health history. That's not one you want to put on their wall, okay? In those processes, though, I've learned that it is in our pain, in our suffering, that's where we actually experience the comfort of God. There's only one way to get there. And I promise you this, that's a part of God's heart and, and who he is I want to experience, but there's only one way to experience it. So don't look at your moments of confusion. Don't look at moments of suffering. Don't look at moments of pain and just automatically assume God is out against you. God doesn't care about you. This isn't a good thing. See God in the details. God used that moment of confusion to lead them to become the people that he actually called them to be. Maybe, just maybe, he'd do that in your life. Here's the thing that's important to recognize in the story of the Tower of Babel. God's desire for people is not that you and I would find joy in being praised. In other words, it's not about self-praise. It's actually that we would learn to find joy in praising him. Pride is a major driver in our world today. Where does pride come from? I mean, let's, let's get philosophical even just for a moment. Where, where does pride really, what's the root of pride? Because I don't think any of us set out, we don't wake up in the morning going, man, I hope to be labeled as a prideful person, right? But pride, self-ambition, not all self-ambition is bad. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. 
But when it becomes the major driver of all that you do, it's a little out of whack. Where does pride come from? I think it's birthed out of fear. It's, it comes out of fear. Think about it this way. We all have maybe a fear of not being heard, a fear of being uncomfortable. None of us like to be uncomfortable. I mean, I like air conditioning living in Florida, right? Amens to that. We have fears of, man, if I do this, maybe God's not going to show up. We have fears of what are other people going to think? What are other people going to say? What are other people going to do? We have fears of, I don't know what the end result is going to be. I mean, the, the list, if we're honest, can go on and on and on. And so as a result, we kind of, well, I'm just not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. And we make the decision for ourselves on what we think is ultimately good, what we think is, is right. And we do this all the time. Where we say, you know, I want this part of what it means to follow God, but I'm going to choose to do it my way. Here's what I want you to know about that. 90% obedience in following God is still called disobedience. God wants all of you. Not 90%. He wants all of you. All of your mind, all of your thoughts, all of your heart, all of your strength. He wants every ounce of you. But our tendency is to go, you know what? I will give God what works for me. So this week, this is what works, God. And we want to dictate what that looks like. You know, when it comes to our time, God, I will give you this portion of time. Well, what if God says, hey, I want you to spend two hours in conversation with that person, not 15 minutes? We do it with our finances. God, I'll give you this. And in doing so, we think we're truly the owners of everything. But the reality is we have to remind ourselves what we think we own is actually God's that he's given us on loan. We don't own anything. It's just my health isn't mine. I've had to learn to live that. God, all these things are gifts from him. So he ultimately is the one that dictates how I get to use it. And so God wants us to come to that level of obedience where we recognize his ownership of everything that we do. Here's the challenge. We think we know what is right. We want to be the ones that define what is good. The problem is when we become the ones that define what is good, good is a moving target. Right? We might go, well, I made it. And somebody goes, well, that's not enough. And we're like, shoot, target moved. Okay, I got to come over here, right? Now I need to do this. Well, the guy on TV said I need to do this. Oh, it moved again. When we become the definers of what is good, it will continually wear us out. And we get to a point where we have to make a decision. And this is where religion can become dangerous. Where we make a decision, we go, you know what? It's not working. So I'm just going to walk away. And when we walk away from God and what God wants for our lives, we are ultimately choosing chaos. 
That's what began to take place in chapter 11 when the people decided, God, I don't need you. Watch what we can do. We're going to build this tower. I'm going to build a platform. I'm going to build an economy. We're going to do this. It was all about them. It was all about their personal ambition. Look at me. Look at me. Look at us. Look at what we can do. And we read there towards the end of our passage in chapter 11, God makes this statement. He says, Back in verse 6, it says, Behold, that they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. This whole idea. He's not saying they're going to do everything they want to do. He's saying they're going to think they can. They're going to think that they can do everything without needing me and my involvement in their life, and that's never a good thing. They're going to choose chaos. Now, the problem is that's one side of the pendulum. We can also go to the other side of the pendulum. Either we choose chaos or what I call control. Control looks like legalism. I got to act a certain way. I got to perform a certain way. I need to talk a certain way. I can do this. I can't do that. And we swing the pendulum all the way towards where we want ultimate control. Both are not God's will for our lives. Both are still me-centric. God's saying it's not going, it's going to end in pain. Trust me. Embrace my way, walk with me. So here's my question to you. How does your life right now reflect God's will for your life? How does it reflect God's will for your life? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you doing what he's called you and what he says? I loved it when my kids were young. There was this innocence to the way that they saw the world, this hunger for knowledge and understanding of the way the world works. Um, as they've gotten older, kind of like us, they've gotten a little bit more jaded, right? Um, but there was this level of curiosity when they were three, when they were four, even five. And they would ask big questions. One of the questions that was always the most daunting question of any question that they ever asked was the question, why? Right? Some of you, you have your own kids or you have nieces, you have nephews. You, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to do this. Well, why? I don't know, right? Because I said so. Well, why? Because I'm bigger than you. You know, it's like, so we, we explain so many different ways to do that. But I, I remember... At one point, maybe it was my brilliance of being a new father, when my oldest was hitting that age, I was like, I'm going to deal with this my way. I'm going to have an adult conversation. He's obviously ready for it, so we're going to sit down and we're going to deal with this. He asked why. I don't even remember what it was. All right, let's sit down. I pull up a chair, and I give him an adult explanation. You know, we're five, six minutes into it, and I can tell he's bored out of his mind. He can care less what I'm saying. We get to the end, and I'm like, Isn't that, is that good enough for you, Aaron? And he just looks at me and goes, but why? I'm like, oh, you know. But then it, it dawned on me a little bit. I, at my age and at my experience, there are certain things I just know that they don't know yet. There are things in this world they don't know that they don't know. You know we're dealing with this constantly with my eight-year-old right now. And I, I remember even just not that long ago, I, I sat Joshua down and said, Joshua, how old is dad? Old. Yes. <laughs> you know, he has no filter. Um, old, yes. How old are you? Eight. Do you think for a moment I know a little bit more than you do? Yes. 
do you think I love you? Yes. Then just trust me. And then in that moment, it's like, oh, my goodness, I saw myself in Joshua's seat. Because when you think of it, who is God? God in his infinite understanding and knowledge, the creator of all things. Not only does he know the past, the present, the future for you, for you, for you, for you, everybody in this room, everybody in the city, everybody in Florida, everybody in the United States, everybody in the world. And he wants what is best for you. Who am I to step in his presence and go, why? Why? And there's moments where God's like, I can't explain it to you. Like, I would try my best, and it would still go over your head. Like, just trust that I'm good. Trust that I'm for you. Trust that I'm not trying to take something away from you. That I want you to win. But our pride, for some reason, gets in the way. In chapter 11, we see the results of what happened with a people group that chose and made a decision to disobey God's commands in chapter 9. God still dealt with them. God pushed them to go out. He confused their language, and he forced them to disperse. He had this desire for them to be fruitful. He wanted people on every ounce of the earth to know who he was and to glorify him. How glorious would that be? You know, his desire for that still hasn't changed today. Just as he gave the command to Adam and Eve to go and to be fruitful and to multiply, he repeated it to Noah and his ancestors. He commanded it again in chapter 11 there at the Tower of Babel, and he forced it to begin to take place. We get to the New Testament. He gives a very similar command. He calls us to go, to go and be a people that make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey the things that he's commanded them to do. He's called us to be his people, to be on mission, and to do what he has called us to do. He even talks about it this way in Matthew chapter 16. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, at some point, if we're going to take this Jesus thing serious, we have to give up our way and embrace his way. I can tell you, that's Matt's desire for City Lift Church. A desire to do whatever it takes to become whatever people that God has called you to become to impact this city for Jesus. And sometimes that requires a willingness to pick up our cross instead of build the towers that we want to build. I can tell you, Matt's not about building towers. It's not about, hey, look at me. Look at what we can build. It's about how many people can we reach. I want to encourage you. Embrace God's mission for your life. Embrace the direction that he wants to go, where he wants to take you. It may not always make sense, but I can promise you it's always what's best. And he'll surprise you of what stories come out of it, where he takes you, and it'll be a blast. It'll be a blast. I don't want you to miss out on that. We're called to scatter. We're called to be a people that reach. 
I'm excited for next week. I'm praying for you guys. The fact that you've gone from one to two and now three services in order to reach the people of this community and beyond. My, my prayer is that you go to four, you go to five, you keep, let's see how far we can go this. Matt's going, no thanks, all right? No. It's like, all right, we'll have to find a different facility. That's fine. If you've got to find another facility, great. It doesn't stop the mission. And, and the reality is he can't do it by himself. He needs all of you. Why? The team always outthinks and outperforms the individual. You're better together. And God using your unique wirings, your unique giftings, your, 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 your calls, all of those things together, I can't imagine what God could actually accomplish. And so I'm excited to see how the story continues to be written. And so I'll be praying for you as God continues to guide that. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. And God, I just pray you do the miraculous. God, I pray that we'd be people that would be willing to set everything down, that we'd pull each brick one by one down of the towers that we're building about ourselves in order to walk and embrace the cross that you've set before us. God, I pray that you'd give us courage to become the men, the women that you've called us to become. And I just pray that the city will be changed as a result. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing day.